Welcome to the last episode of The People's Project until the Victorian election. This is season six, episode 20. One of the great pleasures of my life is doing this show. So I am pleased to be joined today by two West Australians. That's right, today's show is all about Western Australia. I don't know why we'll do this. We get the most hate when we do this show. Anyway, welcome to the show, uh, Corey White from Western Australia. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. You came here just for this, obviously. Uh, comedian, he's a comedian. So he may swear a lot if you're listening in the car and you've got kids, just keep that in mind. Uh, I don't know what he's going to say. And Kate Fantanel, also from Western Australia, also known as Lady Liberty. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Matt. You are welcome to be here. I am worried Guys, just to preempt what's going to happen. This is a show about Western Australia. You're both from there. You both think McGowan's a tool. I've done a lot of watching of videos of him last night to prepare this show. And I honestly find him quite convincing. Even though I, I ideologically disagree with what he's doing with the state. He has a pretty good pandemic record. I mean, should I hate him? You should. Yeah. He's a, I like to call him an oligarch's rent boy. He's so clearly in the pocket of the iron ore pirates in the mining industry. Iron ore pirates. And, and Beijing. I mean, Mark McGowan, the first order of business he made when he was re-elected was to alter the theatre of the Perth Theatre Trust, a policy of the Perth Theatre Trust, whereby anyone who was putting on a show in a Perth Theatre Trust venue that was critical of China required the arts minister's sign-off. He did that. There was Taiwanese acrobats who were refused to hire the Perth Theatre Trust venues because of kowtowing to Beijing. I think we can all agree, acrobats are the most subversive form of art that any theatre can host. Uh, and after that, it was mandating keep cups uh, by 2023. Um, so he prefers the symbolic gesture over any structural reform. It's all window dressing, uh, and there's little to no substance to it other than looking after his mates in the top end of town. Okay, so this might be the theme of today's show because I, I guess I'm thinking more about the as the mainstream person watching the news. You're going, oh yeah, he speaks eloquently. His points make sense. Oh yeah, I can trust him a little bit. And you're saying, I guess I need to look a little bit deeper into some of his policies. Yeah, no, Mark McGowan is crooked as a dog's hind leg and I wouldn't trust him with anything. Your opinion on Mark McGowan? Well, WA and Perth was quite isolated before the pandemic, right? So he just used that to his advantage. And he put people in a corner with mandating three jabs, not just two, three injections to keep their jobs. He relied on the mining industry, even though he treated them like serfs. And he put people like myself, who originally from South Australia, I couldn't travel within my own country for the better part of two and a half years. You were locked into his I was kingdom. locked into WA. And the only time I could sneak across the border, I had to pray there wasn't one case. Otherwise, the iron ore curtain would come slamming down and I wouldn't be let back in because I was treated like a pariah. So I have a lot of rage. Well, I've got my Chairman Mal Gowan shirt on for Chairman the occasion. Mal. So we'll convince you by the end of the show, Matt. He's okay. not a good dude. All right, before we get into it, uh, we exist because of the amazing people who built this studio. They're all on this plaque. Uh, they, I'm going to plug one of them. Let's choose one. Uh, I think I'll plug the same people over and over, like Vermont South Chiropractic. Today, why don't we plug Seventh Gate? Seventh Gate is actually Smoke Dreams. I've never tried marijuana, but they have a shop in Melbourne. She was on this show last week. I actually you not in visited, your head? I visited. visited last week and purchased a Pax 3, and they gave me a David Limbrick discount. Unbelievable. Uh, so I think it was cost price, so thank you. So you can buy cannabis over the counter in Victoria. <laughs> oh, no, no, just the vaping machine. Just the oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, it's coming, I'm sure it is. 
anyway, she was fun to have. She's a lovely lady. She's like a soccer mum, and yet she runs this marijuana shop. It's weird. Anyway, so uh, also, finally, they Trump has his red caps, right? Uh, the freedom movement have their freedom slogans and, and all of that. And the I guess all of the left cards have their masks. Uh, sorry, you don't have those anymore. Well, we finally have something. Team human. Yes, that's right. Just something to remind us all that we're all on the same team at the end of the day. Discernible has merch. Teamhuman.au. More to come on that. But you can go there now. It's live now. But we have, we have incredible stuff. All right. Let's get started talking about State Daddy. It's easy to mock Emperor McGowan, State Daddy, and before getting onto the more serious matters, let's do exactly that. People, what the hell is going on here? Hello, my name is Mark McGowan. I am the Premier of Western Australia. Hello, my name is Mark McGowan, and I'm Yubarabla Premier here in Western Australia, and I'm the interpreter. I've got to talk like Creole, like Yubala, what he talking about. This is an important message to keep Aboriginal people safe. And the young message is a proper important one to keep everybody safe one. You can die from the corona or get really sick. You will again pass away from this corona or you will again get really sick one. It's time to get the corona needle to keep people and country strong. Dijan, it's time to get them this needle, long corona, to keep them but all the people and country proper strong one. The corona needle will protect kids, old people, men and women. Well, Dijan corona needle, gotta keep them Mel a safe one for all the kids and for all the men and women. Many people around the world have already had the needle. Big more people all around the world been already getting but that a needle. It is free and it's safe. Dijan, that needle black rona is free one and is safe one. If you're worried, talk to your clinic or medical centre or go to Roll Up for WA on the internet. If you're worried about talk like yours one clinic or go to a hospital place or go to get himself Roll Up on the internet. So get your needle now and stay strong. Thank you. It's painful. Why did you send that to me? Why did I have to play it? I'm sorry. What's the relevance? If anyone else did that, that would be labelled cultural appropriation or something. That was so offensive. Why is that offensive? Yeah, uh, the translator. The, the translator was talking English. Like, am I taking crazy pills? This is what we had to deal with in Western Australia. Stunts like this. I mean, no wonder that Indigenous population don't trust people rocking up white people with needles coming into their populations. I mean, read a history book. Yeah, and the other thing is McGowan locked down sections of WA. It wasn't just the hard border. It was yeah. he divided WA into little kingdoms, including segregating the indigenous populations from the rest of society. He did that in 2021. Like, 
Are you suggesting that that's not an Aboriginal language? I'm assuming it is. I mean, she looked Aboriginal. She was talking English for most of that. She was talking English for most of that. I can't believe that they actually published that and thought that that was a good tool to get people vaccinated. But then again, we saw other crazy ads and Bunnings, like setting up jab shops at Bunnings in Western Australia. When I first saw that, I thought it was a comedy sketch because of the timing of it and the pacing and everything. It looks like a hostage video. Um, <laughs> Who's being held hostage? Well, it's, it's, he, he comes across as so imperious and condescending in that video. He's just trying to help. Corey. He's trying to help himself. <laughs> All right, so let's not forget that uh, the COVID theater that he engaged with when he visited Sydney. So you know when he went to Sydney to the, the Palmer Court case? Mm -hmm. you remember this? Who can forget? And he said, uh, what did he say? I'm going to wear full, oh, no, that's right. He had to do a nat cab on the way back or something and via Zoom. And he said, I'm, I'm going to wear full PPE to a Zoom meeting, mask, goggles and everything. Said Somebody said, are you afraid of going to Sydney? Because the Rona was raging over there, right? Compared to you, you guys. He said, no, I'm not afraid of for catching the Corona. I'm afraid of catching Sydney. To be that's fair. A good line. Yeah, no, I, I agree with him there. Sydney's a horrific place. Oh. Anyway, so this full PPE thing, if you missed it, uh, he uh, said, look, no, I was never planning to wear full PPE to a NatCab Zoom meeting. Then his office contradicted him and said, no, actually he was. And then, of course, the media exposed why. And this is why. The West Australian Premier desperately tries to keep COVID fear alive in his home state. And as we go through today's show, I think you'll see that was absolutely critical to his popularities to keep the fear alive. In fact, I recall him saying that the virus will find you even when you're in the middle of a desert. The virus will find the unvaccinated. That's what they all say. Internationally, interstate, where they've had COVID, it will find the unvaccinated. So you might live in the middle of the desert, but it can still find you. So please go and get vaccinated as a measure to protect yourself. And all of this, of course, leads to the highest approval rating in history for a premier. These are the approval ratings of Mark McGowan over the pandemic. So this is about five, six, yeah, look at this. 87% in June, 2020, peaks at 91 September, 2020, which would be the height of the lockdowns. And now it's come back. When it came back to 64 in February, 22, that was because he backflipped on the border opening. Mm -hmm. And then now it's back up to 70. So as much as you are both telling me that he's not popular, he bloody well is. Well, look, there are a lot of people in Western Australia with Stockholm Syndrome and this fanboy worship of uh, Mark McGowan, or State Daddy as he's called. Mm. I'd like to tell everyone that I've got State Daddy issues after the last two years. Mm. Um, but the whole thing coming back from Sydney, that was absurd theatre uh, because the funniest thing about that trial was the text messages that came up. Well, between him and Kerry Stokes. Tell, do tell. So Kerry Stokes owns Channel 7 yeah. uh, and a whole heap of media assets across the country. Kerry Stokes was given an exemption to quarantine at home at his mansion up in Broome, yeah. while the West, rest of us peasants in the West, we had to sweat it out at home. Yeah. Um, so Mark if had one, an exemption as well, which but, he refused to use. Well, look, and this is one rule for them and one rule for us. No, but he didn't. saying he said, I will isolate for the two-week period as well, even though I have an exemption. Wow, look, he, um, if that's him being uh, a man of the people, good on him. But as far as I'm concerned, it was ridiculous theatre and he was having one set of rules for other people and one set of rules for the West of Western Australia. And um, I don't think anyone's going to forgive him in the long run. But there are some people who are rusted on 
state daddy lovers and uh, I feel for them. I pity them. What about the mainstream is what I'm more concerned about. So, I mean, dissatisfaction, as you can see, is rising, you know, now, finally. Uh, do you, what do you think? Seven, so 70, 20. I, feel I'm right? with Kate on the, I don't believe the numbers are correct in any way. What do you, th- what do you think? What's the feel in the community? And I think, keep, um, so I should let people know, you're actually talking, you're doing a test that is quite amazing. You are a comedian, so you get to say jokes and test the room constantly. Mm. So I, I did a Mark McGowan joke in January and I got booed off stage. I did it in September and I got a standing applause break. Both in WA? Both in WA, uh, within six months. So the mob is fickle, so to speak, Uh. but a lot of people are beginning to realise just how poorly managed it was. Initially, the fortress politics was very popular in Western Australia. Uh, And I, for one, you know, I was like, well, hey, when we thought this was something that was actually going to kill people, um, it was very popular in the West Australian electorate. But as it dragged on, people got fatigued and they began to see through some of the lies and and mismanagement. And as new data sets and new information came to hand, the government maintained this rigid policy um, and and COVID zero, there was no flexibility, there was no changing of any minds or policy because to change a mind was admitting that Mm. we got it wrong. Um, And this is the problem with people and institutions is an inability to admit when they're wrong. Uh, and to me, being able to admit you're wrong shows a depth of character and it helps build trust. And people have lost trust in all their institutions across this country, and not just Western Australia, with the media, with the government, uh, with health departments. And we've got an enormous problem going forward in, in rebuilding trust and uh, overcoming the trust deficit that's been created by the last two years. I take your point that as the polls turned, you're right, it's when he stayed the course and he mm. didn't adapt. So, yeah, I, I get that. Uh, but uh, the, at the time, as you said, there was very high support. And I found interesting this study. This is an attitudinal study by uh, a bunch of academics, mostly from University of Western Australia. But th- they found something interesting I uh, thought worth looking at, and is that they wanted to know uh, Western Australians' attitudes towards vaccine mandates. And they uh, found in the results that many supported strong consequences for non uh, for uh, uh, non for unvaccinated, even when they said they opposed mandates. So you've got people saying we oppose mandates, but we want strong consequences for those who won't get vaccinated. They attached, uh, th- those mandates attached to restrictions for disease prevention were the most popular. And there were similar degrees of support for mandates imposed by employers or private businesses because the survey participants showed little concern for potential issues of accountability linked to public exemptions. Uh, sorry, public health decisions delegated to the private sector. This is interesting. They had almost no interest in religious or personal belief exemptions from mandates. They only wanted tightly regulated medical exemptions. But they've concluded that there is high... Uh, uh, what do you call it? High support of government vaccine mandates and rigorous lockdown and travel restrictions because people are being used to being governed in such a way. That is very, very sad. It is sad when Western Australians turn to the government to protect them and keep them safe instead of taking responsibility for their own actions. And this is mass psychosis syndrome right like it's the illusion of safety and there were strong consequences for not getting vaccinated we weren't allowed to go to the nightclubs to the bars to the gym to go and get a coffee to the movies to state-owned places like the museum 
They made us feel like pariahs and lepers in our own society because of this illusion of safety that they got from the, the messages McGowan was, was putting out there. It was like, don't you think, Corey, it was horrific what we went through if we didn't want to get vaccinated. We, we nearly lost our jobs. A lot of people only got people three did, injections right? to keep their jobs. Yes. Yeah, the jabbed and jaded is a big phenomenon in Western mm. Australia. Jabbed people who were reluctant to get it but felt they were blackmailed or sorry, whitemailed with their employment. Uh, and they had no alternative. Do you want to keep your house? Do you want to keep a roof over your head? Do you want to keep sending your kids to the school you chose? People had no choice. And I considered that I was in a privileged position to be able to... Self-employed. Well, yeah, yeah, and to say no, I, was, I don't have mouths to feed. Um, so I, I look at it in the sense that I was very privileged to be able to say no, and not everyone enjoyed that privilege. But My there was surrounded. a lot of people who did it under duress. And you couldn't perform at the Fringe Festival in Perth? They cut well, you out legally. of that. not <laughs> legally. You didn't tell me you were both unvaccinated, and here I am sitting in between you two. How scary. Let's look at the vaccination rates across the nation. <laughs> this is... Uh, uh, WA's vaccination rate is, is very high. Very, very high. Uh, we have now, what? Let's look at one dose. One dose, WA, 95.9% is very, very high. Two doses, 94.7. This is as of 26th of October, 2022. 94.7, two doses. Three doses, you said your mandates, Kate, were three, mm. because in Victoria, we only had to get two, not three. 83.5%. Uh, currently with three doses i guess that's why it's the highest in the nation and then 36 for four so that's what he credits to having such a low death rate is high vaccination you know the death rates are very low in wa right from corona yeah well to my knowledge the only thing COVID killed was mdma uh, what does that mean it means MDMA and the supply chains that we relied upon are gone. gone. Well, not crushed in the way Wayne Carey would like. but uh, You're devastated by that, aren't you? Well, though I do have colleagues who are devastated by that in the comedy industry. But those figures are interesting. I mean, look yes. at the two states with the lowest vaccination rate, or for the third dose. For third dose? Western Australia and Northern Territory, and they're the two states with the biggest Indigenous populations. 83 and 79. They've got the two highest for third dose, yes. So what are you saying? So the Western Australia and Northern Territory, two lowest rates of... Highest, vac- highest. So people, 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 four doses, 36%, is that the uptake? No, that's fourth, that's fourth ah. dose. Yeah, so fourth dose th- is the lowest, yeah, 36, yeah. 24. Yeah, what are you saying? Well, the, I think that's a reflection of the size of the Indigenous populations in those respective states. Rejecting the fourth rejecting dose. Rejecting the fourth dose. Because in Western Australia, the government was amending the Heritage Act to prevent mining companies like Rio Tinto and BHP and FMG destroying sacred sites uh, under the guise of, oh, it was an accident we didn't know. Mm. Uh, But the Indigenous groups weren't allowed to look at the legislation before it was tabled in Parliament. But guess who was? It was the mining industry. Uh, And the Indigenous population had a very strong argument to say, well, if we're not allowed to look at the Heritage Act amendments, first um, laws that affect our own heritage and culture, why should we trust the government when it comes to the jab? I thought that was a pretty sound argument. So, I mean, we, we know about, historically speaking, why the black community in the US and why here they would distrust government turning up with needles. But you, you've just pointed to a very modern example of keeping them in the dark as well. Well, So they, they just like distrust, 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 gaslight, silo. And then when it comes to this, trust us. Well, and, you know, if there's a book uh, that's just come out uh, called Title Fight, and it traces how the mining industry, particularly Andrew Forrest and FMG, have dealt with the traditional owners in the Northwest to get access to 
the mining tenements. And it's full-on corporate espionage. They've infiltrated these communities, they've subverted them, they've divided them, and they've been able to exert divide and conquer tactics on traditional owners and get access to, for instance, the Solomon Hub. That's where most of FMG's revenue comes from. And they have not paid a cent. What, I've been to royalties. Solomon. What, what happened at Solomon? Uh, it's a long story, but basically okay. it was... Fortescue uh, screwed over. Fortescue screwed over the traditional and went to enormous lengths. Took it all the way to the high court right. uh, to appease Andrew Forrest's ego. Uh, but what? they were laughed out of court and FMG has an enormous liability to the traditional, the Injibandi people, which they haven't disclosed. And they probably have no intention of paying. Bloody twee. He also screwed over a small company he called Swoop Digital by ripping off his thing. We did a report on that. But uh, one of the most horrifying experiences of my life was going to Solomon Mining Hub. That's not a fun... Have you ever hot-bedded? No. What's hot-bedding? You know what hot-bedding yes, is? Yes, I know what hot-bedding ah. is. You find his undies in the bed? <laughs> it's, it's when the bed's still hot because the guy who slept in it has gone off to do his shift and then you sleep oh. in it. You yes. just rotate and the bed's always hot. I thought you were from WA. Don't you know these FIFO jokes? Yeah, well, I'm banned from all the FMG oh, sites yeah, no, now, no. so I, I can't go back to any FMG sites for shows. Did you, do show, did you do shows at, at, at mining sites back then? At FMG, I had the sound pulled on me midway through a set doing jokes about Andrew Forrest. And oh. then they took all my beers from me and sent me on the first plane home. <laughs> you're supposed to... Comedians just... Like, you're here, you roast me, great. Like, that's your job. You're supposed to be funny, not toe the line. Hey, you know what tried to be funny but wasn't? This is Mark McGowan when masks came off in WA trying to be all cool on Facebook. And while the rest of us laughed at him, I get the impression that West Australians loved it. Yeah, you're having real issues over there, aren't you? <laughs> I can't, like, it's, it's so nose, conceited. It? Like, how conceited is that? Yeah. And it's been proven that masks don't protect you unless you wear it properly, which nobody does. Um, this is what, this is COVID theatre and people actually trust this guy. I just, like, I can't, I'm so triggered. <laughs> Worst thing is, Mark McGowan takes off his face mask and you can smell Andrew Forrest's cock on his face. <laughs> You really got a problem with Twiggy? I really do. He's a crook. Uh, yeah. Wow. Sue me, Twig. <laughs> <laughs> I have a. I've been hearing stories of similar um, things. Hey, so let's talk about actual hard results, though. So only not many people died. This is a this is a recent death. Um, a, a comparison of deaths, uh, Western Australia. This is total deaths, right? Six hundred fifty-eight associated with COVID. Uh, the nearest is going to be, in terms of the major states, if we look at Queensland, 2,200, New South Wales, 5,300, Victoria, 5,600, and WA's only got 658. Now let's look at more recent death rates in this squiggly graph showing WA uh, over the last sort of year or so. Uh, again, very, very low death rates compared to the other states. So I hear what you're saying, everyone, but the normies out there saying, not just the one saying state daddy, just the people saying, look, at the end of the day, here in WA, we didn't close down. We had 12 days of lockdown and it wasn't even a real lockdown, right? We had no virus. We had no deaths comparatively. Life went on in Fortress McGowan. So what incentive do those people have to listen to what you're saying when life is pretty good and few people died? 
lots of people chalk it up to that was the management that was getting vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe that's the case. I think we just got lucky in Western Australia. I mean, being the most isolated capital city in the world worked out mm. for a change. Isolation. Mm. But we were um, able to look around and see what happened in other jurisdictions and then change policy accordingly, but there was none of that. And COVID didn't really get rampant in the community till probably about April or May of this year. Uh, but it was just like a flu for most people. I mean, some people did get quite sick, but I don't know anyone who died. I don't know anyone who's got family who died. Well, death, sound this crap, death is still really low right it's now. It's still since... very low. I mean, more people die in car accidents in a year in Western Australia. Yeah, but it's higher in other states. Are you saying that it's still luck that WA has? Because what I'm saying, when Mark McGowan gets up and he says, look, no, low deaths, minimal lockdowns, he's correct, right? On the raw stats. Yeah, he is. So when everyone looks to re-elect him, which we'll talk about in a minute, of course they re-elected him. But look, yeah, how much we had to, look how much we had to give up to get this result. We had to give up bodily autonomy, three injections to keep your job. We had to give up our right to travel within our own country for two and a half years, let alone those who are from overseas couldn't go to funerals overseas for two and a half years. We had to be treated like pariahs in society if we wanted to make an informed choice over getting a vaccine. Well, only 5% claimed, but only a small part of society suffers for this kind of election result. They're the people that I ran push. for in the Senate campaign because they're still part of society that, why did we give up so much for two and a half years? Like it went on too long as well. Like, okay, at the beginning, yes, close the border, see what happens. Two and a half years of a closed border, really? Okay, let's look at the election then. The election occurred in, I think, 13th of March, 2021. This is the seating plan currently in the Legislative Assembly in Western Australia. What the? Hmm. It's all red. The flippin' Liberals, useless over there, reduced to two seats, not even the opposition anymore. Mm -hmm. That's the Nationals in green. Like that, that, that is a, I don't know what you call that. That's like a one-party state. It's mm -hmm. very close. Yeah, it is. And Mark McGowan can wheel legislation down the House without any effective check and balance on the legislation. Um, it's very concerning. The opposition can't even field a cricket team in Western Australia. Um, I mean, yeah, look, we'll talk about what they're actually doing now in the next se segment, which is horrific. But look at the popularity. This represents the will of the West Australian people. And that is why we always get into so much trouble when we talk about Western Australia, because we have the blue people saying to us, you're not going hard enough. We've got all the red people saying that we're fringe misinformation because Mark McGowan's awesome. It's like there's this weird virus in the minds of people in WA watchers who watch our show. If that election had taken place in September of 2021, the map wouldn't look like that. It'd be all. less, yes. It'd be far less. It was the vaccine that really polarised Western Australia. It wasn't so much the restrictions, although that did play its part, but the vaccine was the most divisive thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Uh, and I don't think the map would look like that at all. There's an interesting dynamic happening. When you say the, the most divisive thing you've seen roll out in WA, that means then that this jabbed and jaded cohort is huge. It because, is. Because you have a high vax rate. So triple dose is 83. And if you're saying there's a lot of people who didn't want to do it, you'd be pissed. Oh, and there's a white hot anger. And you can see how some political actors are positioning themselves to take advantage of this backlash. You mean like uh, Clive Palmer, Freedom Party? Clive Palmer, Freedom Party. Even some of the journalists in the Murdoch press, Chris Kenny. What's he doing? Uh, he's been saying, oh, you know, 
we were the brave souls who've been speaking up for the last two years yeah. saying how draconian and unnecessary this was. Why are you mocking? He was, wasn't he? No, not to my knowledge. And same with Joe Hildebrand. Joe Hildebrand mm. was out shaming anyone he could, telling him to get vaccinated. That's I think right. He said people who refuse the vaccine are no longer decent members of society. He literally said that. And now he's out saying, oh, you know, we were out there saying this is a horrific overreach. So no, you weren't. They're trying to rewrite history and take advantage of the backlash that I think is coming against the last two years. I'm going to read some of that horrific Hildebrand article you just mentioned. Look, he he did say, um, he, he was critical. I mean, I was on a panel with him once with another show. He, he was critical of lockdowns and school closures. So, and that's what he's claiming. He's not claiming that he was ever kind to the vaccinated. He still called the unvaccinated. He still calls them selfish. So this is why I don't understand. I don't think it's a fair criticism on Joe, even though I think it's horrific what, what he said. Right, he, he, well, he wasn't, he wasn't, he hasn't changed on the unvaccinated. He's been horrific the whole time. Let me tell you what he said. So he has said exactly what, people who refuse to get vaccinated are no longer decent members of society. And he literally says about them, if you care about your country, if you care about your community, and if you care about your family, there's only one thing you need to do to prove it. Well, it's the same rhetoric we heard in WA from people like McGowan, and that's been proven wrong as well because it doesn't prevent transmission. So the whole onus on, on us to get vaccinated was to protect grandma because you don't want to infect her, but it never prevented transmission. So And save the health system. Don't overwhelm the well, hospitals. The, and now look at the health system. It's, it's Is yours broken as well? Yes. There's an enormous yes. shortage of nurses and no one can figure out why. Yeah, exactly. So why is your health system, is it just staffing or have you actually... No, got... look, in Western Australia, this is the culmination of 15 years of terrible policy coming to fruition. This is not a, a Labor government problem solely. This has got mm. its roots in previous governments of different stripes. The health system has been neglected for a long time in Western Australia. And it's a crime given how much money we've been making, yeah. uh, given the royalties from the iron ore. We what? should be the richest, uh, most uh, healthy state in, in the country with our public services, given the money we make. Where does that money go? Uh, into Andrew Forrest's pocket, into BHP shareholders' pocket, into Rio Tinto shareholders' There's pocket. There's a lot of that. But in terms of the government, revenue is up. It's very high in WA. But so we're, we're still in an enormous amount of debt. We've got a, a $30 billion surplus. But of, what services do they spend it on, is what I'm saying? You, Do you have really great parks or something over there? We don't know. Waste. We're wondering where all the money goes ourselves. Hmm. So what's the deal with health systems around this country? Because same in Victoria, the Liberals are in for a, a period of time and then it's like, oh, the health system sucks. Daniel Andrews campaigns on fixing health system. He comes in. Health system still sucks. Same in WA. Blue are in, health system sucked. Red are in for 15 years, health system sucks. I don't get it. Why does the health system always suck? I think throwing money at a problem doesn't mean you're going to get results, right? That's what governments do. They throw more money and more money and they don't actually go back to basics and say, what can we actually do to provide decent services to people? And that's what we've got here. Hmm. Plain libertarian line. LDP will cut the BS. Yes, I am confused by um, this. Well, I'm not confused. It's just they're saying the blue wrecked it and the blue say the red wrecked it and really they both wrecked it. Okay, anyway, as, as a result, we now have um, this crazy situation in uh, WA where he can run the whole world. In fact, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this new fiefdom, this new kingdom of Western Australia.
Is it weird being, you've watched this show from WA. Mm. There'd be very few in WA watching us, I assume. Uh, first of all, why would you watch Misinformation? Second of all, is it weird to be in what you've seen on the telly? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I did SBS at the beginning of the year, so um, I kind of got a little bit of experience with being on a show that's based on the East Coast that no one in Western Australia watches, <laughs> bar me. Um, but I mean, this is the thing. Um, all media, or establishment media, lost its credibility in an enormous way in the last two years. And so we're all looking for alternatives. Everyone's looking for an alternative, and information's a currency of democracy, and what we've got is a currency crisis in this country. So that, I look at you like a, a form of crypto. <laughs> crypto. Well, the cool thing is a lot of people might be yelling at me now because I'm like, Mark McGowan wasn't that bad, but at least I'm not, li- I'm not, tri- I'm not lying. I'm not shoving anything down the throat. No. It's all real. It's all true. Well, honest. Hey, so the Kingdom of Western Australia. Uh, immediately after the election on 13th of March, 2021, we had on the 22nd of March, the West Australian doxed gun owners. If you don't know what doxing means, it means to reveal personal details like an address. So here we go. We have um, maps of all guns, registered guns, legal gun, law-abiding citizens with guns. In fact, it got even more detailed than this right down to the suburban level uh, where they had the little dots on the streets where you could uh, pinpoint where people lived. And you, my gun-toting uh, friend, mm. were not happy about this. I was wild because you can actually reverse engineer and pinpoint the exact address. Well, that's where, right there, yeah. That's right. So these are registered legally owned firearms by law-abiding firearm owners who have gone through the process of getting a license, proven to be a fit and proper person as we do in Australia and Western Australia. And then the minister treated them like this, as if they're a threat to society. So we've talked about, you know, public safety during COVID. How is this keeping the public safe when you're giving criminals a map of where guns are stored in society? I was outraged. And there have been incidents since of homes being broken into because criminals have reverse engineered this map. Police Minister Paul Papalia, that's why I came after you during my Senate campaign. And I went out the front of your office. I'm sure you've got the picture. All right, this is a picture of you outside, pa- uh, what's his name? Papalia. Papalia. Papalia office, red sign above your head. Uh, you ran against him in his election? No, I, so this was for the federal election, right. but I couldn't sit back and not say anything. So I used this as an opportunity to come out and say, hang on a second, give un- gun owners a fair go because you're treating them, treating us, like we're a threat to society. So I went and tried to deliver this core flute to the minister and yep. uh, I think they were going to call the cops on me because well, they, thought it was a, yes, yeah. they thought it was a threat, but I put that out the front of his office as well, just to remind him. You defaced his grass. Look, th- mm. this, okay, f- there's three gun owners in Western Australia watching the show right now, right? Okay, great. But ethically, <laughs> you have a good position. But mm. there's a utilitarian argument here, what you've just raised. You're putting a map of gun locations out there. Did you know this happened in New York State in 2012? Yes. yes. A, a news outlet called, uh, like a newspaper, what are they called? They actually made an interactive map. They, they got uh, uh, journal news is what they called. They obtained the names and addresses and created an interactive online map and homes were burglarized. Mm. Uh, it included police officers who keep their guns at home in the US. It also they happened in threats. California this year as well. So I don't know if they were looking at WA for an example, but the the funny thing is WA is the only state that has no privacy legislation and the federal privacy legislation doesn't cover this kind of thing. So my friends at the Shooters Union have looked into this and said, can we try and do something and maybe sue 
We can't. We're not protected. We have no privacy legislation in Western Australia. So let's talk about the shooters' unions. So they actually engaged some lawyers, Roe Bristol lawyers, and I'll read you the conclusions of this. They tried to bring legal action to say, this is crazy, we need to do something about it. And the lawyers concluded that, let me get to the page. They concluded that, unfortunately, it appears, while it appears there's been a level of uh, disregard as to the safety and security of registered firearm owners, unless we receive evidence of ongoing danger to the safety and security of registered firearm owners as a direct result of the continued publication of this map that we've been talking about, we are una unable to identify any civil cause of action available. And the reasons are, this is what you may have a problem with, there is no obligation on Western Australia Police to preserve confidentiality of firearm owners. Right? This is no privacy. I find that thing. staggering. Mm. that there's no obligation to protect the identity of firearm owners when you're concerned about theft of firearms from residential premises. Yeah, forget the firearm owners for a second. What about the criminals who are stealing the firearms? Well, and the irony is most of the gun deaths in Western Australia are owing to police. Yeah, that's that will become more and more the case as we take firearms away from citizens and give mm. them the police. That man's got a taser. Shoot him! <laughs> All right, also, there were, you gave a few reasons, but the second is the courts are unlikely to impose a duty of care on the, min the police minister of Papalia or on Western Australia Police in respect of decisions made by the executive branch of government. So again, this is state that is kingdom. Uh, and even if the court were to impose such a du duty, it's unlikely, it's difficult to establish causation and by basically saying, look, it's all fine, there's nothing we can do, and that's what you get. But what people don't realise is this was not the paper, what is it called? The West Australian publishing mm. the map. On the same day, Papalia and McGowan announced press release where this is terrible. We've provided this, da this data to the West Australian who published it for them. And we are now going to rewrite Western Australia's gun mm. laws. This is a political collusion stitch up. This is what we have in WA where the media is controlled by the state government and citizens, law abiding citizens are treated like serfs. <laughs> Yeah, the, the government shocked. does work hand in glove with the press in Western Australia, uh, and there's currently a matter uh, before the Triple C, a senior detective who was one of the, the coppers who found Cleo Smith uh, has been stood down on full pay. That's the best thing about being a copper, right? If you're accused of misconduct, you get stood down on full pay. Okay. What other jobs in this country can you do that? Executive roles. Um, but when he couldn't charge someone, he leaked this gentleman's information to a journalist at the West, and lo and behold, this man was then smeared in the paper. Uh, and the scuttlebutt is that's why he's been stood down, because he's been caught leaking information to a journalist. And when the Triple C asked him for the PIN number to his work-issued phone, he said, I can't recall. Oh, mm. I can't recall. Can't I recall. I love that line. Can't recall. Happens to all of us. But that, okay, so I think that really surprised me, because the election was on the 13th of March. This was on the 22nd of March. And I thought... Why would a newspaper do such a dangerous thing? And then when I read, they're not even hiding it, Corey. They literally have said, Papali's office provided this information, he's the police minister, provided this information to the, to the paper. They're openly admitting the collusion. Mm. Yeah, no, the, um, the pretense of the separation between uh, the media and the government is completely gone. The media's job of questioning power has long been over. Uh, they're agents of power now solely, and people who in the, in the West Australian who use the title journalist have no business doing so. They should be ashamed of themselves for what they've done in the last two years or haven't done. Wouldn't but it's true. this collusion with the government. Um, it's fundamental alteration of the relationship of the fourth estate and the state. 
What's the fourth? What is the fourth state supposed to do? The fourth estate is supposed to be a check and balance on power. It's supposed to call out government or corporate malfeasance and corruption, uh, but it's become part of the problem. And we have a currency crisis in this country. Mm. Information is the currency of democracy, and the currency has been debased on mass. Uh, so it shows like this. This is a, a form of cryptocurrency, so to speak. Uh, because people have lost all faith and all trust in those institutions, and so they should have. They betrayed us. Peter Hitchens taught me that the correct relationship a journalist should have to government is that of a dog in a lamppost. But that is not what I see. I see in this state, Dean Landrews, denying access to press conferences if he doesn't agree with your style of journalism. So of course you're not going to ask him difficult questions because you don't want to be uninvited to the next press conference because then you can't report, you can't perform for your job, the whole thing is incestuous. And it's the proximity to power. Max Weber, the German sociologist, has this beautiful phrase about people who live for politics and people who live off politics. Uh. And the press class are the latter. They derive their uh, personal satisfaction and identity from the proximity to power. It's that proximity to ministers that gives them their own sense of power. But if you don't camel toe the party line, then you're cut off. And that's happened to a number of journalists in the federal press gallery over the years. Yeah. Whereas if you ask difficult questions, you lose your press pass. Yeah, and that doesn't help anyone. Then you no, just can't. No, and it, going back to what I said, it's debasing the currency of information. It and it doesn't foundation. help people make an informed choice. I feel the same pressures, you know, I'm trying to get some Labor people on this show to give a good oh, defense. good luck. They, they won't come on. But put that issue aside, when I slam them for some stupid thing they've done, because there are many, I think about that. I'm like, if I do this, this is pushing them further away from my, mm. my channel. So I understand why journalists would, I don't agree with it and I don't do it, but I still slam Labor. But I, I see why they would be like, I don't want to go too hard. Yeah, no, and you know, this whole notion of uh, the two-party system is so antiquated now. I mean, the last two years has taught us anything. It's that there are two political parties, but one political class in this mm. country. Mm. And the press is part of that political class. On that map you had of the West Australian Parliament before, there's a uh, parliamentarian, he was a journalist at Channel 7, mm. and then's walked into a safe Labor seat, oh. Reese Whitby. Um, it's an incestuous relationship. I mean, some of the journalists have relationships with parliamentarians. Yeah. There's one I won't yeah. name who's a deputy editor at The Australian. How you going? Um, and these aren't disclosed, and they're not even perceived as conflicts of interest. Mm. And the whole notion of what con constitutes a conflict of interest in this country is gone. I mean, Mark McGowan made a captain's pick for the Royal Commission into the Crown Casino, and he picked a former Supreme Court justice who's got not one conflict of interest, but two with Kerry Stokes mm. and James Packer. Mm. And the whole idea of the Royal Commission was to investigate conflicts of interest. Uh, and Mark McGowan didn't consider that a conflict, notwithstanding he threw the Attorney General under the bus and made a captain's pick. So, Mark, okay, Mark McGowan has absolute free reign right now because he owns the upper house too, I assume. Yes. I didn't look that up. Yes. Okay, so anything he wants to pass, he passes. So these gun laws are coming in a yep. year's time. They'll get through. Yep. And we have nothing, we can't do anything about it. I mean, we can make noise. The West Australian came after me as well, of course. What with do you that, mean? They, what, what they? they ran a, a smear campaign against me, said I was a right-wing gun nut. You know how much I love being called right-wing as a libertarian. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're just saying you're, you don't listen to a... Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, you know that they're panicking when they start to smear. It's funny, with thank you for coming on a discernible show, but one thing worries me is that we don't get smeared very much. 
Well, that's that says not having an impact. That'll change after us being on your show. You're no, welcome. I've been smeared and they stopped it because they know that there's some fights they can't win. So oh. they won't smear you because they don't want to draw attention to the fact that mm. they're competing with someone they can't compete against. So sh should you see it as a strength or a weakness if you're not being smeared? I feel like if I'm not being smeared, I'm not making enough weight. Well, look, there is that uh, adage that, you know, you get the most heat when you're right above the target. Yeah, but I yeah. think there is a view in some of the media industry uh, that, you know, let's not give people oxygen we can't compete with because it just <laughs> makes us look sillier. Mm. Yeah, I think if you don't like someone, just don't give them attention. All right, so one other thing we need to talk about that's going on over there is probably scarier, is this permanent pandemic powers. Look at your face. It's such a negative show for you. It's just you come on to be triggered. <laughs> I know, it's Monday morning here and I'm, I'm feeling very uh, triggered. And, but it's cathartic at the same time. I've been in Melbourne now for about two months, so... Yeah. This is all coming back to me now, my life in WA the last two and a half years. But this new pandemic mm. legislation that has passed the parliament because mm. he has total control of both houses, it's absolutely horrifying. Why? Um, <laughs> so they can come into your house at any time without a warrant and seize your property. This is so 2020. They can lock down areas of the state. Old news. They can make you quarantine. There's even lines about forced uh, vaccination in there as well. That's so been in your public health you. act for years, you know. It mm. says you can remove underwear. Six, People didn't believe it. Since 2016. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it literally says that you can remove underwear and forced vaccination. The other thing that scares me the most is these so-called COVID officers, where you can appoint a police officer, can appoint a civilian as a COVID officer, which gives them basically police powers mm. on the spot and they mm -hmm. can do it verbally. They mm -hmm. don't even have to write it down. Mm -hmm. And then this person who's had no training, nothing at all, you don't even know them, can come into your home, seize your property, tell you to quarantine. They, his innate, like using, mobilizing citizens against fellow citizens. That's what this new laws can cause in WA. I don't I, think I can go back. I know where he got his inspiration from. We tried to do this yes. a year ago with the omnibus bill and it failed. Hey, well, half failed. You know what the scariest thing about this new pandemic powers is? It's the fact that it's no longer vested in a politically elected minister. Yeah. So people aren't aware of this, but the emergency powers that you now have in Western Australia are completely contained under the police, uh, under the police commissioner. And they have an obligation to uh, request the advice of the chief health officer, but they have no obligation to follow it. Mm -hmm. And no obligation to publish it. So you now have quite literally, this is a big call, but it is a police state mm -hmm. because the police have these mm -hmm. unfettered powers and they answer to, or ultimately their contracts have to be renewed by the police minister, but they don't have any, we don't have any democratic representation in these emergency powers mm -hmm. at all. There's no, at least in Victoria, it's the health minister who has to sign off on some crazy thing. This is what happens when you have a one-party state. I've been screaming. I actually ran in the March 2021 election as an upper house candidate for the Liberal Democrats because I, this was before mandatory vaccination, but I was running on open the border. And obviously that wasn't very popular at the time, but mm. I did it because it was the right thing to do. Mm. And this is what happens. I, you know, you try to say, just make sure there's some checks and balances in the upper house so he can't push things through. And this is what you get when you're blindsided and blinded by state daddy. It's interesting though, I mean, I don't know if you had this in Victoria, but in 2021, the police commissioner was the police commissioner by day and the vaccine commander by night. <laughs> Yours like, was both. He's like, he's transitioning <laughs> into the Gilead minister at night time, but he's now the governor. 
of Western Australia. He's yeah. been rewarded. And everyone who did toe the line has yeah. been rewarded handsomely. So he, so the, you have a new police commissioner now as well? We have a new police oh, commissioner now. Uh, Chris Dawson is, was the police commissioner or the vaccine commander. He's now the governor. Um, so, yeah, well, I, it's we're, a, we're waiting to see where ours, Shane Patton, where he's the guy who shot us on the street. Well, I wasn't there, but he shot citizens on the streets. He was, I'm waiting to see where he goes. But there's like a six to 12 month period. They hide for a bit, right? And then they pop up on a twiggy board or somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, that, and that's what Mark McGowan will do uh, when he leaves Parliament. He will yeah. go straight into a job with Andrew Forrest. And Ben Wyatt did it. I mean, Ben Wyatt was the treasurer yeah. uh, and he left Parliament, walked straight into a job with Rio Tinto yeah. and Woodside. We gave up blackface so he could go and do white collar crime. That is not progress. <laughs> what did you say about Gunner? Off there, he said he. Um, well, Gunner was uh, a very hostile to climate change advocate. He right. did an enormous amount to speed up the drilling process for onshore drilling uh, in the Northern Territory. Yeah. But now he claims that he's seen the light uh, and it's gone to work for Andrew Forrest at Fortescue Future Industries. Less as than his... six months after he. Well, quit. so there's a prohibition uh, on ministerial. Uh, former ministers going into the private sector, you've yeah. got to wait six months. Okay. So he's been out three months, yeah. and then they announced it, and he's going to have <laughs> another three months before he actually goes <laughs> under the job. And by that time, all the information he might have had to benefit Twiggy will have dissipated, and he'll <laughs> be of no use. So good on you, Michael Garner. <laughs> this country is so cooked. Hey, uh, interesting thing about WA, a former um, police commissioner himself called Carl O'Callaghan. Good bloke. You like Carl? He's a good bloke. Much like Kel Glare here in Victoria. So he commented about these new pandemic uh, permanent powers underneath the police uh, commissioner. He said that this, and I quote, neatly removes accountability and controversy from the government over the exercise of emergency powers and also removes executive government accountability to the public. Welcome to the police state. Mm -hmm. It may go well, who knows? Proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, honestly, bad things we look back in history like Mao's Great Leap Forward and in Germany, 1940s. Before the bad stuff, it's like, mm, maybe Jews do have typhus. Mm. He's just trying to keep it's us safe. Slow boy in the frog. Mm. But I mean, go, digressing slightly. I don't think there's any leaders around the world who've done more to damage the progressive brand of politics than Mark McGowan, Dan Andrews, Jacinda Ardern Trudeau. and Justin Trudeau. Trudeau. The four horse people of the apocalypse. You're, you put McGowan up there. Oh, um, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, Alex Jones did a piece on Mark McGowan. I mean, that's really? how Western Australia, when you were on the mat when Alex when Jones, Jones was talking, talking about, about us. Wow. Um, and it was the video of uh, him with the Indigenous lady. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I think even Nigel Farage had a piece on Mark McGowan. Wow. I didn't realise McGowan was so famous. Uh, okay, so let me give you a nice quote from... Uh, Frederick Hayek, wow, this is a big one. He said, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have been eroded. And once they are suspended, it is not difficult for anyone who has assumed such emergency powers to see to it that the emergency will persist. That's exactly what we're saying. Now, emergencies forever. All right. That's WA. We're sufficiently depressed. Uh, I think I've made a good argument why the normies loved him. You've made a good argument why that might be turning. Is anyone fighting back? Well, you did run. And what about the cultural fight back? This I found very inspiring. This is a, a Western Australian Gadsden flag that you created. You've replaced the rattlesnake with a swan. 
That's the Gadswan flag. Yes, I created it for my election campaign. Uh, that's me at a protest, waving it around. So, Corey, if you saw that, that was me. Um, just doing what I can to try and, you know, put the message out there. So I had a lot of people come up to me and ask a bit more information because, you know, WA still doesn't really know a lot about other political ideolo ideologies. So you should have done something like, don't lock me down. Yeah. Don't jab me, state daddy. How about that one? Uh, people, did people recognize, most people are unfamiliar with the Gadsden flag? A few people did. I was actually surprised a few people did. Um, but it's, you know, educating people in different ways. All right, this is the original Gadsden flag. Would you like to tell them what this history is? Uh, so that's back in the 1800s, I believe, in America. So it was used then as a symbol of liberty and freedom. And yeah, don't tread on me. Don't tread on anyone. Just, you know, do what you want as long as you're not hurting anybody else. It's quite a simple message. Mm. Protect your liberties, you know. It's not that hard a message. Yeah, originally originally designed by Gadsden, it wasn't Gadsden mm. flag, but originally used by Hopkins in, in the Navy by the US trying to stop British supply ships uh, coming to the war effort. Anyway, so well done on, on doing a bit of culture war. You know what I think people, though, have today? They don't so much think, don't tread on me. They think, feed me. This is what we really should be showing nowadays. We're ducks and we just want to be fed bread. All right. Hey, uh, that's all we wanted to say about Western Australia. It's it's a it's a interesting place. I'm very interested to see what where, where do you think will happen in the future? Let's make some predictions. I feel like the normies will the sleepy people. They're happy. Not many people died. The state didn't really close down. We've got our jabs. Maybe there'll be some pissed off people, but overall, you know. And then they'll just give Mike McGowan more power, and we'll just sort of sleep, walk slowly, eroding democracy and then that'll be it for the next 20 years nothing real bad will happen well secession probably would be the next thing why i would, would think secede? he would well the why wouldn't they secede yeah. is more importantly the why? question because you've got all the money yeah mm. and if the federation debate was to happen today western australia wouldn't sign up mm -hmm. there is no chance western australia would sign up to be part of the federation. so how strong this feeling is over there western australia subsidizes the rest we of this country you know that but the feeling in the people is really like we don't like the East? Look, I don't, not so much a feeling of we don't like the East, but it's more of a sentiment of the younger brother who's never been acknowledged for his contribution mm. and who's constantly looked down upon and, and mocked. Um, and that's particularly strong in, in Melbourne and, and in the arts, that sentiment yeah. of, oh, the Philistines in the West. Yes. And yeah. Western Australians are, are quite rightly sick of it. So, okay, so for a secession to take place, we all laugh, <laughs> that's never going to happen. But the way you would make that happen is you would need to slowly, slowly empower the government and create a cult of personality like we have with yep. Mark McGowan. This is how you would do it, the initial statements, mm -hmm. and then get it bigger. And eventually, he'd be the one to come and convince the masses that we need to secede. Well, we voted for a secession already in Western Australia in the 30s. Uh -huh. um, and that coincided with an economic crisis. Uh, I mean, maybe that'll be the catalyst for it again. We need something. Who knows? But it won't happen without some sort of catalyst. Well, yeah, but you're, you need a catalyst, but you also need a figurehead like McGowan to, mm. to get the popular vote and push it through. We need our equivalent of Peter Fitzsimmons for the Republic debate. We need some wanker with a bandana to come out and spruit the message of uh, Western Australia being its own republic. But secession requires a referendum, mm -hmm. which means you need to get the rest of the country to agree to let you go. And we will never let you go because of the sweet mm. money you send us. Yes, well, and you know, that's funny. I come to Victoria and I want to tell people we don't have pokies in Western Australia. What? 
You don't have pokies? I'm doing that now. What do you mean you don't have pokies? Only at the I mean, casino. We don't have pokies. Yeah, it's the, one of the few socially responsible pieces of legislation yeah. Western Australia has Who, ever produced. When? How recent? Oh, we've never had pokies to my knowledge. How is that? Well, you have them in the casinos, right? But we have how? them in the casinos. But you say, well, how do the RSLs uh, yeah, 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 yeah. go? Yeah. I mean, no one goes to the RSL. People really? still go to the footy club, people still go to the bowls club, oh. but it doesn't subsidise the food and alcohol to the extent that it does here. Wow. I guess this is like when you go to America and you see pharmaceutical advertising everywhere on TV. Mm. You, just, you can't imagine it. Yeah. I didn't know that. You know, I have visited WA. Too sunny. Yeah, it's a favourite place for reptiles, that's for sure. <laughs> a, bit of, a bit of cloud. I don't mind the heat as much as the, just a bit of cloud. Like, it's just burning me. It's my favourite thing about Melbourne. I haven't seen the sun since I've been here. You don't like the sun? Nah. No. Look at this skin, mate. Yeah, I feel yeah, for burn, the sun. Burn. All right. Any more about WA or I'm moving on? I want to talk about some funny stuff. All right. I'm sorry. I made you <laughs> sad by coming on the show today. Thank you for that's saying okay. yes. It's my duty. If you're in Western Australia and you're watching us, well done um, for trying to keep saying, I'm sorry that there's only two of you over there. Hopefully those numbers swell. What? And we're in Melbourne How? at the moment, we're not even there. <laughs> Who are we talking to? There's no one there. There's no one there. Hey, uh, let's give me a lesson in comedy, um, Corey. I want to learn how to be funny. So let's talk about uh, comedians being the front line of our culture. Comedy, my friend. Comedy's not something you can teach, but oh. you can learn. Can, you can learn it? Because people like Rogan say that you can't just get up and do it. You have to grind at it for years before you're any good. No, look, I've seen some people give it the first crack and be very good. Um, but yeah, no, look, it's uh, like anything. It's an apprenticeship and you're never a tradesman. You're always a student. That's what I like about comedy. You know what I like about it? You've been one of the deeper guests I've had on this show. You have very broad knowledge of things that are going and using references that go above my head a lot. That doesn't so have that doesn't that as a compliment. Yeah. And it it is. And it doesn't happen to me very often in life and it doesn't happen to me on my shows pretty much ever. So I'm I'm so wowed by that and I think that's the case with a lot of comedians. The reason you can be so funny is you guys have a broad knowledge or understanding of the human condition or of life or of politics and then you're able to create a funny way to present that. Yeah. Well, look, I have an arts degree. That's what I chalk it up to. <laughs> Politics and international studies, not the, um, the silly theatre games that get taught here. But no, humour is a beautiful thing because it's multifaceted. Humour can be used to, to heal, mm. it can be used to hurt and humiliate. Mm. Uh, but the most beautiful thing about comedy for me is that humour deflates stupid ideas. Oh, yeah. And we live in a culture that not only worships stupid ideas, but worships stupid people. And the last two years have been the dark age of democracy but correspondingly, the golden age of satire. Uh, and so good, isn't it? The, the comedians, I mean, we're the canaries in the coal mine with yeah. censorship mm. and the broader sort of push to sanitise art. Mm. And Melbourne is the epicentre of that. I call it the woke tired capital of the country. Mm. Um, we're talking about the Melbourne Comedy Festival. For oh, my goodness. And so I was the only comedian that I know of who spoke out against what was happening with the jokes. Mm. Um, what do you mean with, against the Melbourne Comedy Festival? No, against the, the mandate and the vaccines. Oh, I see. The rest of the Muppets were all going, oh my God, just look at a book, just get vaccinated. And but that's not even funny. At least It's not even funny, but this is what's happened to comedy in this country. You can just state a trendy political belief and get an applause break in Melbourne. That's not comedy. It's that's not even political. jokes. It's yeah. just stating a trendy political belief. Uh, that's a rally. 
Well, and when you find yourself on the side of the majority, you should probably take pause and reflect as to how you got there. And comedians who uh, parrot the government line should have a long, hard look at themselves and go, what is it I'm actually doing? Am I an act or am I an artist? Mm. And anyone who's taken money from the government to do those pay posts, and there were some of them, uh, they should be ashamed of themselves and they should have the grace and decency to come forward and say, I got it wrong. I was manipulated. Have you seen any comedians come out or change their view at least? No. Because some famous people in the US have. I've said, oh, seen some comedians moderate their views about the mandates, but most of them were, I mean, I felt like a Jew under the floorboards there for, yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um, and I felt they would have dobbed me in in a heartbeat. Um, and, you know, comedians are like women in the sense that they don't stick together and they're constantly tearing each other down. Sorry, oh. Kate. Um, but, yeah, they're uh, a vicious group of people in my experience and most of them uh, have a body of knowledge that has anorexia. They are absolutely oh. thick as shit and they'll do anything to be uh, adored or get more followers on Instagram. They are a very shallow, silly bunch of people for the most part. Having said that, there's a lot of great comedians in this country, but they're overlooked because the industry is so controlled by the, you know, a duopoly. It's essentially a Coles and Woolworths that run comedy in this country. Hmm. Yeah, Century Management and Token Artists, shit name by the way. Um, so they do the bookings for... They do, and they, they control all the pathways to radio and television. Oh. And it's a small group of people have sanitised art in this country yeah. and they've imposed their taste on an entire nation. And everywhere I go, people say, I thought comedy was dead here. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's alive and kicking, but... In the smaller venues. It's a small, it's an underground scene now. And Good comedy is going to have to be underground. I mean, if you want to think you're going to be at the Melbourne Comedy Festival at the gala, so doing anything of substance, you're, oh, you're the, dreaming. Because yeah, they uh, select for that. They won't allow you. The filters no. won't no. prevent. Yeah, you know, won't allow you to get there. So I'm going to come out as transgender and see if that'll that'll get, get you in. So when I just complimented comedians for their breadth of knowledge, I'm clearly then only referring to real comedians. Then. Yeah, that's a small group. Yeah, no, there's a small group. Uh, the rest of them are just acts, puppets. There's no authenticity about any of them. Can we watch an example of comedy from a guy called Corey White? Uh, I just want to break this down, see what you think of this. Good evening, comrades. I hope you're well. Give me a shout. Who's vaccinated? Yeah, fuck yeah. I overcame the hesitancy and misinformation today and I had my first shot. Thank you. It was heroin, but... Uh, <laughs> No tracking in 5G for me, it's just 5G and track marks, you know what I'm saying? Uh, side effects include great poetry. Uh, and you know who else had a no jab, no job employment policy? Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> At least, you know, Harvey's jab had years of rigorous testing, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Fuck it, you might even win an Oscar, who knows? <laughs> Say what you will about Harvey, at least he wasn't forcing his jab on kids. Uh... <laughs> Corey, you know what I love about this? You came out, I didn't really know who you were, so I looked you up on Instagram. And I, I, I see your clips and I watch this and you go, right, who's vaccinated? Everyone goes, yeah, I'm like, oh. Like it's just going to be another, um, what's that idiot's name? Sorry. Will Anderson. Will Anderson. It's going to be another Will Anderson just lobbing political nothings. It's not even funny. 
And then, you know, you turned it and I was like, oh, I don't know where he's, oh, good. I don't know if you're vax, unvax, provax, and you're vax, but you're funny. Well, and that's where good comedy should lie, and good journalism for that matter too. Yeah. I, I don't identify as left or right. Um, I try and make people keep guessing, you know? They don't know if I'm left or right, gay or straight, mm. victim or perpetrator. Mm. And that's <laughs> where I think good comedy and good journalism so should good. lie, is so in, in the centre, as a check and balance on bullshit of both sides, because both sides get up to it. Um, so yeah, that's the philosophy I have of, of comedy. and. Well, I just love the fact that when I was watching you in this clip, I was able to relax when I saw you making jokes and, and it didn't matter whether I was pro or anti-vax or whether you were pro or anti-vax. Nothing mattered. What mattered was you were going to be funny and I was going to be right there locked in with you enjoying myself. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, look, that's what I've always tried to do with my stand-up and is tell jokes. Mm. Lots of people go out there and they just have victim impact statements <laughs> and they're not even funny. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to name any names, but... There's been some comedy that's been uh, published on, on streaming platforms and there's not a joke to be found. Yeah, it's straight up just preaching. It's horrible. So what's the deal with, uh, we were just talking about, um, there's no, in, well, it's gatekept, right? So you can't get any jokes through. So what about the canary in the coal mine phenomenon? So we rely on comedy to say truths. Like in the back end of that clip, you're talking about, um, you're pointing out the difference between Harvey Weinstein's jab not attacking kids, but ours, at least his jab's been tested. And, and you're making a comment that our jab hasn't really been tested as much, right? Especially for kids and so on. Uh, so you're making some deep and serious points as well. Acting mm. is like a canary in the coal mine to say things that we couldn't ordinarily say. Like you can make a joke about the jabs being untested, but you can't say that. You couldn't right? say that in polite society. And what I loved, it, I mean, that was in September of last year when that That's was That's at the height of the vaccine. That was at the height of, and I, and I miss how polarised the climate was then, because mm. to be able to go out and deceive people mm. and go, who's that? And they instantly go, yeah, he's one of us. Mm. And then to be able to hit them from the other side once they gain their trust. I mean, I would look back on that with a fondness forever. I had so much fun during that uh, were, they, were they all vaxxed? Was they were all vaxxed. I mean, oh, you because you couldn't go in. Well, no, the mandate hadn't kicked in at that point, oh. but most people had just gone out and done it without thinking. It was like, I just want to go travelling. I'll be able to go travelling if I get this done, or I'll be able to go into state if I get this done. Yeah, but then you were mocking the vaccine and the testing, and this, those people right there were laughing. They were laughing. You, and that was, And I was very proud of that moment because, I mean, I think that's the beauty of humour. At the end of the day, it brings people together, mm. and... A laugh is a shared view. It's mm. an expression of approval or, or disapproval. Um, and people of different persuasions, political, creed, colour, vaccination status, all laughed at, at that routine. And it's something I'm enormously proud of because that was so divisive in our society mm. at that time. And that's why I see humour is so important because at the end of the day, it doesn't divide people. It, it brings us together. But it can divide people. Humour can be used in a quite nasty uh, way to humiliate and to hurt and to mock but at the end of the day the way to disempower stupid ideas and stupid in people is by mockery absolutely and humor is the only sort of weapon that we really have to mock yes. and take down silly yes. ideas we've got nothing else so that's why i see it as so important and so beautiful and why i'm so filthy on the cultural elite in this country who've screened out people like myself from the industry because oh, you're, you're ostensibly cis, hetero, toxic, white male. Yeah. What possibly 
could you add to this cultural conversation that might be insightful, relevant, or indeed funny? Forget funny. It's the cultural, the insightful, culturally relevant stuff first. Oh, uh, well, let's after. waterboard Australia with Will Anderson for the next 20 years. <laughs> We've already had that for 15 years. Oh, no, let's give him another 15 more. He's terrible. Hey, so what do you think about the, the I mean, does it annoy you like it does me, the freedom movements in this country, which in principle I support. Freedom is better than what we've got, but they're angry. Mm. That's a warning sign to me because if you're not laughing and mocking, there's some that are. I'm like, good. I can. You, but a lot of them are just screaming. I'm like, oh, you're not. And, and the normies are not listening to them because like, you're angry, you're screaming all the time. I don't want to listen. Yeah, no, look, you, you're spot on. And there was a, there's a lot of anger still in the community. And the problem with those freedom movements is the people who've got hold of them mm. Mm. are not the sharpest tools in the shed. And I mean, no disrespect to some of the leaders. They've done a great job with organising and holding the fort. But I think their usefulness has been outlived. And we so need what you're talking about to take over, culturally adept people to carry well, this. Well, we need some leadership. Yeah. Um, and there's people who are afraid to take the reins. Um, but there's also people who don't want to give up power. Uh, some of those people derive their sort of personal identity and a sense of personal power from being at the helm of those movements, and they do it a disservice. Um, well, I feel like what they want is they need the country to get worse. They need lockdowns to come back. Well, and if this does get worse, then it does empower the loudest, nastiest voices. Mm. Uh, and that's the problem with all cultural debates, is that the people who speak the loudest are heard the most. and the grey area and the nuance where the um, real essence of the issue lies is overlooked. I mean, things are not black and white. There's a huge grey area in every debate. So mm. what I try and uh, promote is non-binary thinking. I love you it. Know. I love it. Sorry, I'm <laughs> you know, just saying yeah. I love it. Look, okay, yeah, well, PJ Rook said that, you know, lies are always told with a straight face. It's the truth that is told with a dismissive giggle. So I mm. like dismissive giggles. The more you can laugh, the better. It's a beautiful quote. It is. I don't even know who PJ Rook is. He was an American satirist. He was considered, you know, sort of the only funny right-wing comedian. Mm. Uh, but this is the other enormous tectonic cultural shift that's taken place in, since I've been in comedy. Forever and a day, the left has been the champions of yes. the subversive humour yes. and and speaking truth to power. And I don't know when this happened, but there's been a pendulum shift, and now the conservatives are the champions of comedy. Isn't that obvious, though, because the left have taken over power in the culture institutions? They command all the, I mean, from journalism, academia, uh, the arts, the left, um, the commanding heights of culture, so to speak. Which is why the, right, the Babylon Bee has to come in and do what the left did back in the 80s. And, and I, I think that's an enormous shift that probably needs a little bit more scrutiny because when I was young, it used to be conservatives who'd walk out of my shows. Now it's lefties. Yeah. And, you know, if you had told me 10 years ago that it'd be the, the lefties who'd become the snivelling, uh, censorious types, I would have dismissed that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But now it's, it's so true. And... I find myself very um, unnerved by some of the political bedfellows that mm. I have. I mean, I find myself in agreement with people like Prue McSween. Mm. Uh, and she's an oxygen thief <laughs> from way back. Um, You're on the same page. It, it makes us unnerved because I'm an ideological refugee. And, you know. I'm loving lefties, old school lefties. Well, like old Greer. school lefties, right, they see power through the lens of socioeconomics. Yeah, yeah. Modern lefties see identity, uh, power solely through the lens of identity. Uh -huh. 
And you know, just because you're a white man doesn't mean you're a CEO with five houses and you're crushing it. Yeah. Um, just because you're a black woman doesn't mean you can't go on and be the face of an American power structure and then go and advocate for an illegal war in Iraq. Oh, wow. Um, wow. It's such a shallow conception of power. And uh, I think what's taken place in the left is a sort of internal coup a philosophical one, what took place in the right in the 90s mm. was the radicalisation of the right with neoliberal economics. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think a similar thing has happened in the left where it's less about socioeconomics and more about identity. Mm. And I think that's a really dangerous development. That's right. The left won the culture war and the right wing will over the next 20, 30 years fight back and probably it'll swing again. Mm, I don't know. But Nothing's stable. You look at history, you don't have like thousand years of stable anything. No, nothing is fixed and it's always a, a battle. Um, how that's been fought, I mean, I think, because this is the problem with history, right? No one notices the, the narrative that's taking shape because they're too busy living in they're it. They're in it, yeah. And it's only when a historian comes along 10 years down the line and knocks the narrative into a coherent shape mm. that meaning and context emerge. Mm. Uh, so I think that'll be really interesting to see how that goes in the next couple of years, if we have any historians in this country left. There are some. Uh, we're, we're now in the National Library of Australia, National Library of Victoria, can you believe? This show full of misinformation. Hello. Hey, you um, did a good job, Kate, of co-opting some of the symbols of the left, which I love. So this yeah. is AOC's tax the rich dress, which is hilarious. I mean, she's rich herself compared to most Americans. She's uh, at an event fundraiser, I think it was, for the rich, full of rich people. She's saying tax rich. Anyway, you come out and you co-opt it and you write tax is theft. Yeah, so I wore this at my Senate campaign launch in WA. I had the Gadswan flag flying high. And then after the campaign, I went to America and I thought, you know what? I might go pay AOC a visit and I put on my tax is theft dress and off I went. Um, ultimate troll. This reminds me of comedy in a way. Not that, you know, you're telling a joke and I'm laughing, but there's something about it that says th that kind of speaking truth to power, not truth, that kind of trolling aspect that you just mentioned. Mm. Poking fun, co-opting, appropriating, mocking. I also do a lot of memes. So I've, I've been known for my memes. I was showing Corey some in the car ride here and he laughed. So I made a comedian laugh this morning. That was like tick off the list. Do you um, laugh at this sexual meme? Uh, no, it was, oh uh, yeah, it was a McGowan <laughs> meme actually. There was nothing sexual about the meme she showed me in the back of that <laughs> I just want to clarify. Criminals, poor Papalia. <laughs> well, if you can't laugh, you'll just cry, right? So, you know, try and educate people through memes is something I did during my campaign and I still try and do now, so. Yeah, since you stole my phone at the Liberty Gala and you made me follow your Facebook page, I've been seeing them pop up and I quite, <laughs> she literally, Put my phone and she pressed follow, so discernible follows you now. Uh, but I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the follow. You're welcome. I did you a public service. You mandated the follow. <laughs> All right. I think uh, we've made a very good point. I, I love this idea of um, what you've raised here, Corey, that maybe it's time to, for the freedom movements to, to mature a little. In fact, I'm, I'm interviewing Aidan McClendon here. He's running against Daniel Andrews and Mulgrave. He's the, one of the leaders of the freedom movement here in, in Victoria. Uh, after this. I'm going to be asking exactly that. Hey, can we stop being angry? Because it's, you're losing. You're losing the uh, mainstream. And it's not just the anger. I think it's the constellation of different issues. The problem with modern politics is the problems with our society are so myriad, it's hard to fit it into a nice digestible soundbite. Mm. And uh, the Freedom Parties, and I've seen some of the literature they hand out, 
in everything from adrenochrome to, mm. to cloud seeding. And whether or not that's true is beside mm. the point. Mm. If your point you sort of raised on the tray is the vaccine, you've got to keep that narrow and frame it in a way that people can understand and not get confused by the peripheral issues. And I think that's the challenge that they face. Well, also, they're captured by the same fear-mongering that they abhor. Well, and this was the other thing I found really um, stunning, was how effective propaganda was on both sides of that argument. I yes. mean, you could see some of the, the Telegram stuff, and I watched some of the stuff in Perth, yeah. um, and it's radicalised people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but on, both, on the other end, you know, it was, I'm going to kill your nana, and yeah. uh, let's exclude these people from society en masse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's this is why you should love Joe Hildebrand because he he goes after the I stand with Dan Loveys and the crazy anti-vaxxers at the same time. Well, right? no, no, no. <laughs> He's uh, he said I'm no longer a decent member of society, <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, Joe, you work for Rupert Murdoch and I don't. Oh, there it is. Uh, you know, one party that does. Do you are you running anywhere? No, no. Okay. I'm just working for the You're campaign. Working. Okay. Yes. Well, one party that I have found stuck um, frustratingly to their principles has been your party. So shout out to LDP. Thank you. I know exactly what you guys are going to do no matter what the circumstance because that's you're right. doggedly stuck to your Party principles. of principles, that's right. We were for freedom when it wasn't popular, so <laughs> still are today. Thank you both for being here all the way from WA. I hope it's been a cathartic experience for you. And uh, thank you for keep doing comedy. I hope we don't keep shutting down these comedians because we need that. that um, where? Do, yeah, I don't think I asked, where are we going to get that canary in the coal mine when those two places of sanitized comedy, we, that warning signal has been suppressed. Well, where do you go to, like, tell the people, where do we go? Who do you want? Not just you, but where do you get a pulse for what's ha happening? Well, look, comedian, a good comedian is an indicator of a social mood and a sort of a personal and a spiritual historian. And everywhere I go, I'm listening to what people are talking about and you like to be inside yeah. people's heads. So which comedians um, do I follow? Um, Australian comedians. And any? <sighs> um, you've got me on the hop there. I'll well, give you some well, after the show. But, yeah, well, um, not just comedians. Like, how do you take the pulse? Is it just by travelling around? I pay for good journalism. What? Who? What? I read Matt Taibbi, uh, Glenn Greenwald, Alexa O'Brien, um, Marianne Damasi in South Australia. She was formerly at Catalyst on the ABC. Um, but so, no, look, we're coming to next year at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Make Melbourne funny again. So uh, look out next year if you want to see some good comedians because I'm bringing a travelling troupe with me. And uh, Western Australia produces the best when it comes to art in this country. I mean, you think of the names, uh, Brennan Burns, Rob McManus, uh, myself, Rolf Harris, oh. Tim Minchin. We've got some big names. Um, and Melbourne is not the, uh, the cultural capital of the country it likes to think it is. Wow, okay. You know, you're right. I, uh, you a good point about journalism. Bar Barry Weiss has done more for me than the, edit, the writer from the New York Times uh, with her substack when she left. More for me than, than Rupert Murdoch and all of his rags and, and the age and all that my whole life. And it's, it's, a little it's beautiful, right? Email. And there's no advertising. There's no, no ulterior motive. You pay yeah. for a product and that's good journalism. Mm. Um, and that's been... I've never been so informed. Well, isn't it amazing? And this has been the decline through my lifetime is the decline of journalism and the fourth estate generally. I mean, remember when Julian Assange's extradition was granted? Yeah. The internet was alight with hashtag free Britney. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how much journalism has been smashed, not in just the, its real form, but in the, I guess, the cultural conception of it. Mm. Uh, I call myself an Edward Snowden flake. Um, 
and all these uh, journalists, that are, and whistleblowers especially, people who come out and speak out against uh, overreach and misconduct, they're destroyed. And we sit back and we watch and we don't do anything. We've got to change that paradigm. Well, people <coughs> should be following you, so I'll put a link to your website uh, in the description below. Uh, any recommendations for the people, uh, Kate, on freedom and liberty and just where do the people in where do the, the the zero people watching us in wa where do they go to to maintain a sense of hope for wa you you're leave. not even there you've abandoned you leave them. you leave no some people can't um, leave so. liberal democrats wa is still alive and well so i would recommend going along to their next meeting if you're still in wa otherwise it's a slow burn are there cultural icons over there that give hope just me <laughs> you're not even there i know Wow, okay, so watch watch stuff from the East Coast. Thank you for coming along for the ride. Uh, as I said, we have some amazing merch finally at Discernible at our Team Human brand. So go to teamhuman.au and I better leave us all with a quote. So let's go to Shakespeare for the first time. He said that, um, what did he say? Quote about him being brief. He said, um, brevity is the soul of wit and tediousness its outward flourishes. So I shall be brief. Do you find that's the case? Brief jokes about Yeah, no, brevity is the soul of wit, undoubtedly. Yeah, okay. Keep it brief. If you, if you have to, like what I'm doing right now, if you, if you have to explain something over 30 seconds that can be done in five, maybe cut that down. Have a lovely week. We won't be back until after the Victorian election, but we will have live election coverage for November's election. We'll have a bunch of nerds in the room talking about the seats as they fall. Stay safe, get vaccinated, get boosted, and this show is brought to you by Pfizer. Your face throughout this whole show I is know, just it's, uh, very expressive. <laughs> I wear my heart on my sleeve and a face just shows so it all. <laughs>